0: So over the last few weeks, um, over the last month, we have been going through a series called Clarity, and the whole purpose of the series, the whole purpose of the last four weeks has been to navigate why do we as a church value what we value? Why do we love God? Why do we love others? Why do we make disciples? Why do we have small groups? Why do we build community? And every single person that has preached, myself, Tyler, Ricky, we have, we have uh, deeply, deeply, uh, Tried to answer that question with the most sincerity and the most truth that we have been able to. We have tried to handle those questions with as much um, compassion and as much uh, truth as possible. And I believe that we've done that. I believe that we have answered those questions uh, as clearly as we have been able to. Uh, and so, if you weren't here over the la- the last couple weeks, uh, two of the messages are on the podcast. The other two uh, did not make it onto the podcast, and that's fine. But if you have questions about it, you can ask me. I'm happy to go back through and talk to you about the things that either I preached on or Ricky preached on, because those are the two that didn't make it on the podcast. So, um, but we have spent the last several weeks discussing why do we believe what we believe? Why do we value what we value? And so now, I, I believe it is appropriate, because I believe that you have been asking the question in your mind and in your heart. You've been asking this question. I know why we do what we do, but how can I be a part of it? How can I be a part of this vision that God has given this church? How can I be a part of the vision to love God, love others, make disciples, and build community? How can I get invested? And I know every single person that preached over the last four weeks has kind of given you a little application point at the end of their sermon because that is the appropriate way, and we always want to challenge you. Every time that we stand on this stage and preach the Word of God, we want to challenge you through the Word of God. But I believe that Over the last four weeks, there has been a common question that has occurred in your mind through conversations with several of you. How do I get involved? How do I get engaged in this church? Several of you are engaged in this church. Several of you are participating in a high capacity in this church. And what I'm not, I'm not saying I need you to increase your capacity. I'm just, I want to answer the question. How can you get engaged to this church? How can you steward this church? For the next two weeks, we're going to focus on that word, steward. You see, the the word steward, Charles Bug uh, defines the word steward as utilizing and managing all resources God provides for His glory. Another person puts it, he says, it is our obedient witness to God's sovereignty. And so, like I said, we've been answering the question of why. Why do we do what we do? Now I just want to spend two weeks discussing, okay, how can you steward this vision in your life? How can you steward this church? How can you utilize and manage the things that God has given you as an individual, as a person, to glorify Him, not only in your personal life, but also through this church as a congregation? How can you partner with the person that's sitting behind you? How can you partner with the person that's sitting beside you? How can you partner with your husband or your wife? to continue to glorify God through your marriage, through your personal life, through the raising of your children, through this church. I want to answer the question, how can you steward this church? And so, today, we're going to be spending time in Luke 10. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Luke 14. Turned to the wrong place. Had my tab in the wrong place. We're going to be spending time in Luke 14, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn them to Luke 14. It'll be on the screen behind me if you do not have one. That is completely fine. Um, if, I, I would love for you to bring your Bible with you to church every Sunday. I want you to bring your Bible with you to church every Sunday because there is value in bringing a physical copy of the Word of the Lord that has all authority with you to church and seeing the words for yourself. The screen's great. The screen's great. But there's nothing more valuable than bringing your own copy of the Scripture. So if you have your Scriptures, go ahead and turn them to Luke 14. Luke 14 is where we are going to be. And remember, we're seeking to answer this question, how can you steward the church? And see, in Luke 14, we're seeing Jesus go back and forth with some Pharisees and again, and he's teaching. And so in Luke 14, after going back and forth with some Pharisees, he starts to preach this this one long message. And so the part that we're going to be in is the conclusion of his message. But to give you a little bit of a a recap, a little bit of a synopsis of, um, of the message, Jesus is pretty much preaching the invitation to come into the kingdom, responding to salvation, being invited into God's kingdom. And so through this, as he's preaching this message, how, how the Father is inviting people in, Gentiles, into his kingdom, he comes to the close of his message and he turns and he sees something that catches his attention, and so he has to address it. He has to address what is going on right before him. And so we're going to pick up in verse 25 we're going to start in verse 25 in verse 25 it says now great crowds were traveling with him and so he turned and he said to them now we see jesus he says or the scripture says great crowds so after he's preaching this invitation of like pursuing the kingdom coming into the kingdom being accepted into the kingdom all these people begin to uh be attracted to jesus they begin to, to flock to Jesus. They begin to hear this message, and they begin to, to understand, hey, he's preaching something that I want to hear. He's preaching something that I want to respond to. He's preaching something that I've never heard. I didn't know that I could, as a Gentile, as someone who wasn't a Jewish person, I didn't know that I could respond to the gospel. I didn't know that I could respond and live in the kingdom of Yahweh, the king of, uh, the king of kings. I didn't know that. And so these crowds begin to flock to Jesus, and he's got this great number around him. He's got all these people around him. And when this happens, Jesus turns to them and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus sees this great crowd. He sees this great crowd following him. They have just heard this miraculous message of being invited into the kingdom of God because they weren't Jewish people and they weren't allowed to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so he sees this great crowd of people that are like, we want to be a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus takes this moment to help them understand what it means to be a disciple. And so the answer to the question that I posed, the answer to the question that I posed, how can you steward the church? How can you steward this church? How can you steward your life? How can you utilize and manage the resources that God has given you for his glory? How can you obediently witness through your life and this church managing what God has provided all for you? How can you do that? Well, the answer is real simple, church. You can be his disciple you can be his disciple. The answer is simple, but the pathway is really, really hard. It's really difficult. As we just saw, the things that Jesus said, when you read that, you're probably like, whoa, hate my mom, hate my dad, hate my wife. Like, what are you talking about? That doesn't sound like Jesus, that doesn't sound like the gospel. That doesn't sound like, like what, what we, the way that we should be living. Well, my prayer today is that I can help you understand that being a disciple means that you can obediently witness through your life and his church and manage the, re, the resources, manage the gifts that he's given you when you value nothing more than Christ. When you value nothing more than Christ, when you value nothing more than Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who stepped out of heaven into our mess just to redeem us, just to die and rise again, all for your sin, all because he loves you and he believes in you and he sees the potential in you and he wants you to live eternally with him. When you live dedicated to that and you value nothing more than that, that is when you are a disciple. Because that's what Jesus just said, right? We're going to go through it verse by verse. Y'all are thinking like we're just in three verses so we're going to be out of here in like 10 minutes. Nope. I hope you guys don't have football plans because you're not going to be watching football at 1 o'clock. Peyton does. Peyton's got plans. I'm just kidding. We're going we're gonna to be out of here. So we're going to go verse by verse. In verse 26, we're going to look at verse 26. It says, if anyone, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me And does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. You see, when it says, comes to me, that means literally going to Jesus you got to remember, we got to take the Scripture at face value. we got to take it and look and understand what it meant to the original audience. Remember, this was a Gentile audience. Luke wrote this to a Roman uh, official, a high-standing Roman official, to tell them about Jesus, to tell them about how Jesus was the Son of Man, the coming Messiah that was going to and did save all of creation. He wrote this to help the, the Roman citizens even understand it, that Jesus wasn't trying to raise an army, but rather redeem creation. And so when he writes this, when he says this, he's trying to help the the original audience to understand these people were coming to Jesus. Jesus wasn't, wasn't seeking to create a crowd. Jesus wasn't seeking to create a multitude. Jesus was just seeking to make disciples. You see, we see the 12 over and over again, but we also see the 72. The 72 show up in Luke. It's the only gospel that the 72 actually show up in. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, you'll see the 72 mentioned a couple times. These were were other disciples that were kind of outside of the circle of the the 12. Maybe had family relations, or uh, maybe they were married to one. We don't know. But we know that there was another 72, a second layer of the disciples. And even after that, there was 120, because we hear about the 120 that were in the upper room. And so when Luke is writing this, he's helping the the original audience understand that Jesus wasn't seeking these great crowds, but rather Jesus was trying to thin the great crowds. That's why he turned to them and he said, he challenged them with this hard statement. When he says, comes to me, it means that these people were going out to them. These people were following him, that that we were falling in his footsteps. And then this word hate, when it says, and does not hate. So they go out and they do not hate their own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, if they do not hate those things. I don't know about you guys, but I love my mom. I love my dad. I love my brother. I love Sarah Grace. I love TJ. I love my family. And the idea of hating my family doesn't really make sense. Again, because it sounds contrary to the gospel. It sounds contrary to what Jesus is asking us to do. And so this word hate, while it does mean hate, this word hate in the original language, it meant to love less than. It meant to uh, esteem less. It meant to value less, to hold a, a lower value than the other thing. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you prioritize these things over me, you cannot be my disciple. If you, if you focus these things over me, you cannot be my disciple. You see, if I prioritize TJ, if I prioritize TJ more than I prioritize Christ, then I'm not going to raise my son in the way of Christ. I'm going I'm to raise him in the ways of, of his flesh. I'm going to wa- raise him in the ways of, uh, of things that make him happy. But, you know, we all know, like, life isn't always about what makes you happy. Sometimes it involves suffering. Sometimes it involves hardship. Sometimes it involves endurance. Sometimes it involves pushing your, your children. Sometimes it involves pushing yourself. Sometimes it means going through a very, very difficult situation. We see that over and over and over again with the disciples. And so this word hate, it did not mean, it did not mean that you hate and you have nothing to do with them. Rather, it meant it says, hey, if you're going to distract me from Christ, then I'm going to choose Christ over you. Like, it, it, there's no if, and, or but about it. If you're going to try to uh, sway me away from Christ, then I'm not going to to respond to that. I still love you. I still value value you as my mother and my father, as my son. But if you're going to distract me, if you're going to take me away from Christ, then I need you to understand things are going to be a little rocky. I need you to understand the cost. I need you to understand the things that are going to happen. I need you to understand that Christ is the most important and the most valuable thing to me because he has saved me, because he has set me apart, because he has called me uh, righteous because of his death on the cross. You see, it's, it's easy. It's easy to get caught up in loving everyone. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? We talked about going and doing the same, being the, being the good Samaritan, loving people along the way. You know, sometimes when you are loving people along the way, they try to distract you. They try to lead you away from the gospel. We see Paul address that in Colossians. The entire letter of Colossians, as if you're a part of a small group, you're going you're gonna to see. The entire letter of Colossians was written to the church in, Preston? Colossi. Colossi. There's a whole joke. Preston corrected me like 13 times whenever I said that. Uh, yes, you did. Um, it's all right, though. He's much smarter than me. <laughs> Paul writes the letter to the church in Colossi to prioritize and to make one point clear that you can value nothing more than Christ, that you can value nothing more than the one who sits enthroned in heaven over all creation and has all authority over everything, over all your relationships, over all of your resources, over all of your money, over all of your vehicles, over over your home, over all the creation, birds in the sky, whatever it may be, He is the one who has authority over all things, and so you have to value Him. You cannot let people come alongside you and persuade you and lead you away from these things. You see, disciples, once they're awakened, they cannot be half-hearted. They have to be fully committed. They have to be fully committed to Christ, and nothing can hold more value in their heart. Nothing can hold more value in their heart than Jesus Christ crucified and risen. It does not mean that you hate everything around yourself and you detach completely from society. No, loving Jesus does not mean that you detach from society. It does not mean that you, you walk away from society. It does not mean that you're not involved with anything. That's just weird. I mean, I really like watching Netflix. I'm not going to lie. Like, I really like watching football, too. I really, 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 really enjoyed watching Texas beat Alabama last night. I really enjoyed that. Praise God that happened. Uh, I was praying the whole time. Y'all, I've waited like 14, 13 years for that to happen since Alabama beat them in the national championship and Colt McCoy was the quarterback. Anyways, that's a soapbox. I'm not going to get on that, but it's a soapbox for real. I could talk about it for hours. But even though those things matter to me, they don't matter more to me than Christ crucified. They don't matter more than me than Christ risen. It doesn't matter more than me. It does not. Those things do not matter more, than me, more to me. Ugh more to me than seeing you built up and encouraged in the gospel. That doesn't—I would, would rather sacrifice all those things to see you encouraged and built up in the gospel in your discipleship relationships and through small group and through your own personal time with the Lord and through prayer. I would rather see those things than anything else because I care more about Christ crucified if you're a discipler in here, I'm sure that you care about the people that, are, that you are discipling. You want to see them encouraged and built up. If you're a small group leader in here, I'm sure that you want to see fellowship happen. You want to see people come and enjoy time together for the sake of the gospel. You want to see more people come to church. If you're a Christian in here, if you're a disciple in here, you care about seeing more people come to church. You care about seeing the empty seats in this church filled up and more discipleship relationships happen. You see, when, when we are a disciple, We we value nothing more than Christ. We do not care. We do not care about the circumstances of the world. Yeah, they might come our way. They might might lead us one way or the other. Things might get real difficult. But that's just the life of discipleship. That's the cost of discipleship. That's the life of discipleship. And so in verse, he continues in in, uh, 26, and he says, yes, even his own life, even his own life. You see, this this word life, it, it meant not necessarily your existence, but your everyday activity. Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying to this crowd, this great crowd that began to follow him. He says, Yes, if you even, even you have to hate your own life, you have to hate everything about your everyday life and cling to me. You have to follow me. You can't pursue the things that you think are going to make you comfortable. You can't pursue the things that you think you're going to enjoy, even though you, you do enjoy them and you should enjoy them. You can't cling to them. They can't be the things that you value more than Christ. The moment you, that you allow them uh, to, to uh, be greater than Christ is the moment you allow Christ to decrease in your life. And guess what? Like I said, a disciple, once awakened, cannot be half-hearted. Why can, I, why can they not be half-hearted? If I'm a half-hearted Clemson fan, am I a Clemson fan? If I was ready to, to bail on Clemson last week when they lost to Duke, would I really be a Clemson fan? No. Am I a Texas fan because I'm happy that Al- they beat Alabama? Kind of, sort of. I mean, let's be honest. That was a pretty great win. But I wouldn't be a Clemson fan if I bailed last week when they lost against Duke. I wouldn't be. It's the same for being a disciple, church. If the moment that the water gets choppy, if the moment that the road gets rough, the moment that it changes from comfort to discomfort, you forsake Christ, you forsake being a disciple, you're being a half-hearted disciple. And Christ does not want half-hearted disciples. He wants disciples that are fully committed. He wants disciples. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect because no one in this room is perfect. We are made perfect by the grace of Jesus Christ, but we are still sinful and we still sin every single day. And so I'm not saying that you've got to be perfect. But what I am saying is that you have to learn to repent. You have to learn to change your mind. You have to learn to lean into the things that are for Christ. You have to learn to set your mind on Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, like Paul talks about in Colossians. You have to learn to lean into the Holy Spirit and trust what He's doing in your life. You have to learn to get uncomfortable because the cost of discipleship is all about discomfort. It's never about comfort. If you believe that you can be a disciple and be comfortable... You have a misunderstanding about what it means to be a disciple. Christ is always going to call you into the discomfort. He's never going to call you into comfort. He's never going to call you to not share the gospel. He's never going to call you to to sit back. He's always going to call you to go further. He's always going to call you to go deeper. Why? Because he's out there with you. Because he's in it with you. He's not just calling you out and he's not staying back. He's going with you. He's going before you. What did it say in verse, in verse 27, I believe it was? What did it say? It says, who does not bear their own cross and come after me? We're going to come back to the bear your own cross, but come after me. Cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, hey, whoever does not bear their own cross, whoever does not bear their own, uh, their own shame, their own guilt, I'm not saying that you don't process those emotions. I'm not saying that you don't deal with those things. But what I am saying is the act of going to the cross, it was a shameful thing. When you picked up your cross, you knew that you were going to death. You got to remember, what did it mean for the, for the, uh, the Roman people when uh, they saw somebody with a cross? carrying a cross up a road, they understood that that person was going to die. They understood that there was no way out, that there was no way back, that there was no way to turn, there was no way to lay that cross down and to turn back and still live. They knew that that person was going up that road, going to that mountain, going to that place, carrying that cross, whether it be just the beam, because sometimes they would carry just the beam that they would be nailed to, or the whole thing, whatever it may be, they knew that that person was going to die. And so when Christ calls them out and he says, hey, you have to bear your own cross, you have to bear your own cross, that means, hey, you are going to a place that is going to lead to death. Now, for the disciples that were hearing this, that was literal. For Peter, for Andrew, for for all the disciples, that was literal. For us in our context, that may not be the case. For some overseas missionaries right now that are risking their life to take the gospel to unreached countries, that is the case. For disciples that are taking the gospel into places that are completely anti-Christian, anti-Jesus, anti-church, they are risking their life for the gospel. And they do understand that the cost that they are facing is death. But for us in our culture, it means death to self. We have to die to self. We have to die to our desires. We have to die to the things, yes, that we may love and we may enjoy if it keeps us from Christ. Y'all know, I've talked about it a lot of times, I love, to, I love video games. I love video games, y'all know. Like, I talk about video games all the time. I enjoy a great video game. Like, I could sit in a room all, all Saturday and enjoy a great video game. Like, this new game called Starfield just came out, and it's about being like this space explorer, and like, there's like a thousand planets in the game that you can visit. If you don't know anything about video games, you're probably like, Grayson, what are you talking about? It's just a really cool game. Like, y- you know, a long time ago, people would talk about being like a space cowboy. Like, that's literally what this game pretty much is. Like, you're pretty much a space cowboy. Pretty much. Like, I didn't even really think about that, but that really is what it is. And so, like, I want this game so bad. So bad. But the reality is is that I can't pull myself to buy it because the amount of time that it's going to take for me to actually play it is going to take away from my attention from you guys. The amount of money that's going to cost could be money that I could put towards buying somebody a cup of coffee in discipleship or buying somebody lunch to get to know them better. You see, I'm sacrificing those things that I love for Jesus, for the church. It doesn't mean that I don't play video games because I still play video games. I play the ones that I got. But I sacrifice the things that I, that I would love to have, the things that I would love to see, the, the things that I would love to, to enjoy for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. Shoot, I would love to go to a Clemson game, but I just had to say no to going to a Clemson game because I'm going to be preaching. Praise God. Praise God, it was an eight o'clock football game and I was like, I can't do it. There's no way, there's no way that I could go to an eight o'clock football game and then show up the next Sunday morning and preach effectively for you guys, even though sometimes that's questionable. But like, there's no way that I could do it. I just, I wouldn't, I would be asleep on stage. Y'all would just watch me sleep right here on the floor. Like, I could not do it. And the reason why I said no, again, is because I value nothing more than Christ. I want to see Christ glorified. I want to see Christ edified in your life. I want to see these things happen. And the question is, what does that look like in your life? because again Jesus at the end of this he says and come after me you see the act of following Jesus the cost of following Jesus the act of valuing nothing more than Jesus does not mean that Jesus is nowhere to be found no Jesus is before you in all circumstances and he is asking you to come after him to follow you into places that he has already been because he has been in your circumstance he has been in your in your place he came and took on flesh for you and died for you and sacrificed everything he understood the cost because he lived the cost he's not asking these disciples to do he's not asking you to do anything that he has not done because he sacrificed everything that he was and everything that he is for you. And so he's merely asking you to be a disciple. He's merely asking you to mimic the life that he lived. And so the reality is the way that you can steward the church the way that you can steward the church is valuing nothing more than Christ. And what does that look like? It means like living the life that Jesus lived, sacrificing, stewarding what God has given you. Stewarding what God has given you. You see, there's a couple of examples that we see throughout Scripture. And specifically, I love John 1 because in John 1 we see four different people. We see four different people understand the cost of discipleship. We see four different people live this little tiny portion of Scripture out at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Not at the end, at the beginning. We see Andrew, whenever he hears about uh, Jesus from John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is proclaiming, look, the Lamb of God, I love this story. I tell you guys this all the time. Whenever he says this, uh, Andrew leaves behind that life. And begins to follow Jesus, begins to pursue Jesus along with another disciple. We don't know their name. There's really no way to assume who it might be. But he begins to pursue Jesus, and he pursues from a distance. He doesn't quite approach Jesus, but he he pursues Jesus. And then Jesus becomes aware, and Jesus turns and asks, what are you looking for? And Andrew just says, I just want to know where you're staying. I want to spend time with you. Andrew understood that he had to live, leave the life that he had, leave the discipleship that he had, leave the culture that he had behind himself, and pursue Christ. He had to leave the past behind himself, and he had to pursue Christ. We see the same thing with uh, Peter. Andrew then left Jesus to go and find Peter, and Peter left behind the boat. We see it in John 1, and we also see it in the other Gospels, because when Andrew left Jesus in this moment, he went to Peter. Peter was in a boat fishing, and Andrew was helping him, and Andrew was telling him about the Messiah, and then Jesus shows up, and they get out of the boat so quickly, and they run up to Jesus, and Peter leaves that life behind because Jesus calls him. He says, follow me. Peter understood that he had to leave that life behind. And then we see Nathaniel. Nathaniel does the same thing. And then we see Philip. Philip does the same thing. And then we see Timothy all throughout the letters. We see Timothy do the same thing. And we see Titus do the same thing. We see Paul do the same thing. Paul left behind his life. We see over and over and over again these people in the Scriptures that left behind their life. But even here still, we saw at the beginning of the year in this church, we saw men and women in this church leave behind the life that they had here in this church to go and start something new. We saw two church plants. We saw Buddy and Amanda leave behind a church that they were a part of, come here, be built up by Ricky and his wife, be, be encouraged by this church and this community, be invested into by this church community and say, hey, we're going to leave this behind. We're going to risk. We understand the cost. We understand that we have to die to ourselves and we have to go and plant this church at Duncan. We, under, we saw the same, through, same thing through Taylor and Destiny. Taylor and Destiny had been a part of this since the get-go almost. And they understood that they were sacrificing community for the sake of building new community, building, new for, uh, new, building on new soil planting new seeds, seeing the gospel grow in a new place. They understood the cost was heavy, that they had to die to what they really wanted, which was to stay here and be comfortable and go and see the gospel planted in a new place. We see these things happen, not only in Scripture, but in our real life. Think about overseas missionaries. I was talking about them just a little while ago. They risked their life. I heard the story of an overseas missionary a few weeks ago. I wish Bobby was in here, because Bobby actually knows who the person is. She is from a church that's here in the upstate. And she, I'm not going to say any names. I'm not even really going to mention where she's at. But she is in a place to where she can't have photos taken of herself. No one can know her name. And no one can even really know where she's at except for like two or three people. Like in the state of South Carolina. Because where she is at, there is such a large threat for death if she were to be discovered preaching the gospel. Like, she she understands the gospel. People who go on mission trips, that they're taking the gospel to other places. Heck, even if it's you and a in a coffee shop and you're taking the the gospel to a coffee shop here in Spartanburg and you understand that the cost of discipleship is not your own comfort but rather discomfort. You understand that the cost of discipleship is valuing, that that person knows the eternal reward that they're going to receive if they live by faith. They understand that the the way the bondage is going to be broken if they receive the gospel. You understand and you value Jesus Christ more than your own comfort, more than your own circumstances, more than the things that are happening in your life doesn't mean that you 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 like get over the things that are happening in your life no you deal with those things with Christ but there's also a part of living on mission for Christ church the way that you steward this church the way that we steward the way that I steward the way that we all steward this church the way that we all live out this vision of love God love others make disciples we have to be disciples If we are not living as disciples, if we are not living out this cost of discipleship, if we are not living out this, uh, I love less the circumstances in my life, I love less the people that are in my life, I want to see the gospel proclaimed. If we live that out, we are stewarding this church well. And so as we wrap up, I just want to give you three quick things. Three quick takeaways from this story. As we've gone through it, you see the disciples in this moment, Jesus, he, he proclaimed this. He said this to the disciples so that number one, that they could know the cost. Jesus didn't have to turn to the disciples. He didn't have to turn to the crowd and tell them this. He could have just let crowds continue to gather. You see, that's our tendency how many of you on social media, whenever you're scrolling through and you see that someone's got 500,000 followers, you're like, man, that person's got it made. And you're like, I'm sitting over here with like three. Yeah, that's probably like what Justin's got. You got like three followers, don't you? Four. Oh, four. Okay. <laughs> and you're just like, man, that person's got it made, though. Like that person lives off, off of making social media reels and like, Do y'all know who Corey B is? Have you ever seen Corey B's reels? He, he always tries, like, weird foods and stuff like that and tries, like, ridiculous stuff. I always come across as reels. And every time that I think, I was like, this man just literally makes ridiculous food and tries it and it's really funny, and he makes a living off of it. Like, why couldn't Jesus bless me with the gift of, of uh, comedy? Because I am not comedic. I am not comedic like some people. Like, I tried to make a joke earlier, and you guys didn't laugh at it, and it was great, it made me feel great. So, anyways. <laughs> like, I'm not I'm not good at comedy. Like, I'm not. And so, it it is what it is, but, like, we have to know the cost. And so when Jesus, he turns and he, he talks to these people, he's saying these things to these people because he wants them to be aware. He wants them to know what's going on. The same with the 12 and the 72. Uh, we see in Luke's gospel that Jesus, in all the gospels actually, we see in every single gospel that Jesus goes through as he's sending the 12 out the first time in the middle of the story of the gospel. He's sending them out. And he prepares them. He gives them all the encouragement. And he warns them to watch out for the wolves that are going to come and attack them. For the shame that they're going to uh, have to embrace. For the, the potential flogging that they're going to have to embrace. He, he warns them. He encourages them. He helps them understand. You have to know the cost of what you are embarking on. The journey that you are embarking on. That's why Jesus does this. And so we have to be aware of the same thing too. We have to understand. We have to know the cost. And the cost is that we have to die to ourselves. We have to understand. We have to value Christ more. We cannot value playing video games all the time. I can't do that. We can't value watching football all the time. Man, I loved watching football. I love it. I love watching college football. College football is better than NFL football. You can fight me on it. That's all right. We can talk about it later. College football is better than NFL football. And so, like, I love watching college football. But if I have to sacrifice watching college football for something, I will. If I have to sacrifice it for you, if I have to sacrifice it for a wedding, if I have to sacrifice it for a funeral, if I have to sacrifice it, I will. We have to live that way, church. We have to say I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to live for Christ. The second thing is we have to know the mission. To value nothing more than Christ, we, number one, we have to know the cost. Number two, we have to know the mission. Well, what is the mission? We know the scriptures that tell us the mission, but when we're looking at this text, what is the mission? It's in verse 27 when, it, when he says, come after me. Come after me. Jesus says, come after me. You see, Peter and John, they understood that. We look in Acts Peter and John understood that they had to come after Jesus. They had to continue the ministry after Jesus had ascended. Jesus tells them that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to enable them to, uh, to go and preach the gospel, to take the gospel to all nations. Peter and John, they understood that in Acts whenever they uh, came upon a lame man who was sitting by uh, a temple gate. And Peter looks at the man and he says, "I I don't have the money that you need, but I do have what you really need, and it's Christ. So stand up and walk. And the man stands up and walks because he believes what Peter is saying. He believes that Jesus Christ, he believes the gospel when Peter speaks the gospel into his life. Peter and John understood that. The same thing with Stephen in Acts. We see Stephen preach this long message. He preached this long message of the gospel, and he was present with the disciples whenever, this happened, whenever uh, Jesus was, was here. And he, he preached this long message, and what happened at the end? He was killed. He was stoned to death. Stephen knew the cost, but he also knew the gospel, and he knew the gospel was more important than his own life. He knew the gospel was more important than the things that he wanted. The same thing for James. James was the same way. James preached the gospel. What happened to James? He was stoned. The same thing happens for church planters and revitalizers. We, I just spent this weekend with church planters down on Myrtle Beach, me and Sarah Grace got the privilege to go down to Myrtle Beach and spend some time with church planters, and I got to hear several of the stories of the things that they're facing, the things that they're having to sacrifice, the things that they did have to sacrifice, the way that they picked up their life and moved to a completely different part of the state because they understood that the gospel needed to go to that part of South Carolina. We have plenty of places, I don't know if you know this, in South Carolina that don't have the gospel, that don't have a healthy church, that don't have a, a thriving church, They have churches that are focused on tradition, that are focused on just the inside walls. They're not focused on outside. They're not focused on taking the gospel out. And so the SCBC, praise God, they're focused on getting church planters, and churches in South Carolina are partnering with these men and women. They're focused on getting these church planters to go out and take the gospel into these places. They understand the mission. They know the mission. We have to know the mission. Our mission is to come after Christ, to follow his example, and take the gospel into our workplace. Whether you're a teacher or you work behind a desk, wherever it may be, guess what? You're probably working with other people who need to hear the gospel that are just as broken and just— just as overwhelmed as you may be in this very moment, or it may be uh, the way that you were whenever you met Christ. Whatever it is, there is a person around you that needs to hear the gospel that you just need to know the mission and live the mission. And so the last thing is we need to know the reward. We need to know the reward. And and praise God that this even came, came up because this is what we're going to be preaching on for, the, for pretty much the entire fall. We're going to go back into the book of Joshua and we're going to dive into this, this idea of what is our eternal reward. But really simply, our eternal reward is the very thing that we have to be. The reward is being his disciple. Church, the way that we steward what God has given us, the way that we steward this church, the way we steward this vision, the way that we continue to see stories like what Justin shared earlier, the way that we continue to see new people come to church, the way that we continue to see people getting engaged and involved in the church is that it starts with you being a disciple, me being a disciple, all of us being disciples of Christ and not pursuing and valuing anything else other than him. We cannot pursue or value anything else greater than Him. The moment that we allow our finances to be the things that we idolize in our life is the moment that we disengage from the church. The moment that our comfort, I know I keep talking about comfort, but comfort is just something that has been on my mind all week this week. Comfort is a primary enemy of being a disciple. It is a primary enemy in our culture. Again, I told you, we have to die to ourselves. The reason why it's so hard is because we get so comfortable with, with what we have, where we're at, where we're going, that we forsake Christ in those things. It's so easy to get focused on the things that make us comfortable, like our jobs our school whatever it may be we get so comfortable that we can't steward the church that we can't partake in the church because whenever we become comfortable with our job we begin to do more for our job and less for the church here's another thought the moment that we begin to be comfortable with our, with our job is the moment that we begin to do less for our wife less for our husband You see, we get comfortable with one thing in our life. We get so fixated on it. And we begin to value it above anything else, doing it the best that we possibly can. But can I just ask you a question? What would it look like if you took a month to just focus on stewarding the gospel in your life? To really leaning in, seeking the Lord in prayer every day, Every day. And I don't mean just like in your car. But like sitting down, maybe writing out your prayers. That's what I do. Writing out your prayers. And then talking to the Lord about them. What would it look like if over the next month you said, I'm going to steward the gospel in my life so that I can steward this church well because I love this church. I've been asking myself this question, too, of what does it look like for me to steward my life, the gospel, in my life better so that I can continue to steward this church well? We all should be asking that question. And so the question is, as we conclude, how can you steward the church? You can be His disciple. You can value nothing more than Christ. I want to leave you with one last thought that I just I came across this week as I was studying. William Barclay, he wrote tons and tons of books on Scripture. Amazing, amazing theology. Lots of commentaries. He's much smarter than me. And on this very topic of stewarding the gospel in our life, and this very topic of of stewarding the church, and this Scripture specifically, he wrote this one thing. He says, It is possible... To be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple. To be a camp follower without being a soldier. Remember the story that I told you about Andrew? Andrew followed from a distance. He was afraid to approach Jesus because he was comfortable where he was at. He was happy where he was at. He was afraid of it not being true. He was afraid of of facing hardship. He was afraid of the circumstances, and so he stayed at a distance. But then Jesus invited him in. And what did he choose? He chose to be a disciple, not just a follower. He chose to be close to Jesus, not at a distance. He chose to be uncomfortable, not comfortable. He chose to be a student of Christ. Church, I am thankful for the way that you live out being a disciple. You do. This church does. You live out being a disciple. But the question is always and should always be, what am I valuing more than Christ? What kingdom am I trying to build in my heart? What am I trying to to make happen in my own life? How am I trying to steward my life? How am I stewarding the gospel in my life? How am I utilizing and managing everything that God has given me to glorify him? Because this is what it means to be a disciple. Stewarding his gospel in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for this time to just worship with you to hear from your scripture, to hear from your word, to hear from your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that in this time that our hearts have received an urgency, a conviction, to forsake comfort and to pursue discomfort for the sake of your gospel. Lord, that we do not forsake our emotions. We do not forsake our well-being, our well-being, but rather we forsake the things that are calling us away from you. Lord, if there are things in our hearts that are just overwhelming us, like we're in a boat in the middle of the ocean, and the ocean just continues to, to, to rock the boat. I pray that you help those people, that you help us, anyone that feels that way, to understand that you can calm the sea and that you have and you will. That we just need to lean in and be your disciple, to be your student, to understand the firm foundation that you have given us. Lord, soften our hearts. Help us to be disciples. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you were encouraged by the message. At ID Clifton, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events, please visit us at idclifton.com. We'll see you next time.